Welcome homeowners, home buyers, landlords, and tenants alike, people who just want to be better at living in a home. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Join Madison Radio's Adam Elliott, real estate broker and landlord Ben Anton, as they break down the modern day barriers of home ownership. You'll laugh, you'll cry. And if you're not careful, you'll learn. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fists curled up in a schoolyard fight? I'll be a backup when you're calling my name. Thanks for waiting. That was the waiting song from Madison musician Seesaw. Welcome to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. On the Facebook, at in the 608. Uh, the, the Facebook? Now you're just calling out your age when you say it that way, Ben. <laughs> I added that. That was for that was for comic relief. In any case, it's good to see you yet once again for another episode of Real Estate in the 608. It's always good to see you from across this long enough table. Yes. Our social distancing is still in effect as we remain in this pandemic, but we continue forward to talk about the important real estate issues of the day. Like... How are those new glasses working out for you, Adam? Thank you for also calling that out. What does the Rolling Stone say? What a drag it is to get old. I got my readers on this he's, time. He's also holding the script a little further away you than normal. You stop. You <laughs> stop. Real Estate in the 608 is a podcast about real estate where we do things like we talk about the headlines of each day and not me getting old. We're going to recap the highest and the lowest price sales in Dane County in the last month or so. We'll give you little nuggets like a top of the hour tip and the market update to help you get context about the real estate market. We surround ourselves with people smarter than we are. Yeah, and if we haven't mentioned, you can also find us on your favorite streaming services, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Look for us there, either Real Estate in the 608 or In the 608. You're going to find it. You're going to love it. We are, or at least I should say I am, Adam. Uh, I'm a homeowner, former news reporter in the Madison area, a uh, former radio personality. I teach. I work at UW-Madison. and You're a personality. <laughs> All right. And what about you, my friend? My name's Ben Anton. I'm a broker associate at the Lauer Realty Group, and uh, and I'm a landlord. And especially as we are on the cusp of the academic year rental season, mm-hmm. I have been a landlord a lot. We've got about five of 30 rental units switching over this, this August 1st. That keeps us busy. I guess you got to come up with a term like adulting is the new verb. Maybe landlording is, <laughs> is your verb that you could use for this time of year. <laughs> it's, it's definitely been, the, the, been my my biggest uh well aside from my daughter oh i my think gosh. that I, I made a note here last episode mm-hmm. uh, we recorded and, and i and we had been at the hospital she was at the hospital that day and i said yeah. i think she's well Okay. So it was a half hour after we finished recording July's episode that we left for the hospital back again. To the hospital, oh my and, gosh! Uh, she, dude. We were she was there again today. Really? Uh, so it's turned it's, <laughs> oh, it's turned no. into about a two month. By the time you hear this, it'll be two months, and I'm confident we'll still be working on it because some of because they're still like we're still narrowing it down from like ten things that happened after the appendicitis. I brought our card here. Now, I'll, I'll spoil <laughs> it because this podcast won't go on. But my open line is hospitals suck, and I'm sorry you have to go. <laughs> through this, not to say that, you know, our healthcare workers do great jobs, but the, being the person that has to go to the hospital, it sucks. Being, being the person ghetto. that has to go along with them to the hospital oh, also lacks gosh. a certain... And we're, we're fortunate to have people smarter than we are to help us through navigate that system as well. All right. Well, make sure you thank those healthcare workers, even though I just disparage them saying <laughs> suck, but they do, they are doing the hard work right Sometimes now. Sometimes yeah. I get to be smarter than people than my clients. I mean, that's after all why they come to me. Mm -hmm. But today we're turning the table a bit and 
my client is smarter than me. Pam Andros. Yeah. Recent home seller okay. and buyer, also Dane County Regional Planner. I want to find out what that job entails, because that sounds interesting. I mean, yeah. Dane County is around. How do you keep planning for it? <laughs> uh, but maybe that's one thing we'll find out. We've been talking about um, sort of what's been going on since last time. You've had other things yeah, going on, too. But you have been busy as well. The campaign for Lindsay Lemmer for Assembly is, is a very big one. We've had some great endorsements in the past week. Um, by the time this airs, it'll be just about go time. to Go. You know, so go. August 11th is the primary, so please do get out and vote. Register if you haven't. Um, there are still we- ways and means to do that. There's drive-up options. Please do get out and vote. And uh, if you do live in the 48th district, which I think Pam might now, I'm going to have to lobby her. I-, I might put some campaign push in. Well, let's get, a, let's get an endorsement. Let's get a Dane County Regional Planner endorsement. <laughs> I like that idea. I don't think she's supposed to do that with her job. But <laughs> okay. I like the concept of it. So that's what's been going on since last time. What's going on from the headlines, Ben? From the headlines, or at least from the real estate headlines, I thought there were a few commercial listings of note. Mm -hmm. We've talked a little bit about taverns. Everybody, maybe just me, dreams of someday owning a tavern. Next door brewery. Are they going away? They want to be, no, you get to buy they, it. They want to move. Oh, they no, want to sell. Okay. You, want, you would be a brewer and you could brew your own beer. And for $650,000, oh, I, don't, I don't think you get the that, real estate here because um, the real estate is, is, is pretty valuable. This is okay. for the business. Okay. And if you were someone who wanted to buy a bar, but also serve your own beer, mm-hmm. this is the perfect opportunity. This is an opportunity. All right, 650K. Let me check my pockets to see if I got some extra change. I don't and this, know and for the record, um, this uh, this was listed late last late late 2019, and I've just decided to start it, to include it today. And I looked on the west side for fun things to talk about, but nothing. It's like, oh, look, a strip mall. Oh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, But my favorite key shop, ADC Lock and Key, North and Commercial, you're mm-hmm. going to be. You can see Oscar Mayer across the way. Oh yeah, uh-huh. they've got a little red, two little red buildings. Maybe a little bit more up. You know, like three hundred forty-five thousand dollars. All right, it's for the half. for the building <laughs> and the business. This type of business, this has not been disrupted by technology. I think I think we're gonna we're gonna get away from keys. The guy who shows up and puts on your fancy touchpad lock. That's still going to be probably right? the same guy. Yeah. I think it is. It is a business that could travel with technology, or that can follow shortly sure. behind. And there's always going to be that key under the mat for when the battery dies. Right. You know what else you could do with a lock and key business is you could make your own key to the city. All right. What about the highs and lows, Ben? Highs and lows. Just down the street, lowest price sale of the month, one thirty one North Fair Oaks Avenue. Mm-hmm. Two bedroom, one bath. A whopping 572 square feet. I think I had a tent that was bigger than that once. <laughs> it listed at 169 in March and then came down to 165 and got an offer in June. Now, mm-hmm. something happened. My guess is that the inspection went poorly because in July it came back up at $100,000. And what's interesting along there is that on Fair Oaks, this house might have been one, a couple houses out too far, but many of those have frontage on the Starkweather Creek, and you could literally put in a canoe off your off your backyard. I think those places that are right there, do they have basements or are they slab homes? Most of them have basements. Several of them have exposed basements in the rear because the hill. Man, those spaces, I mean, I know a lot of people love lakefront, but like that just makes me nervous. Like when a flood happens, there goes your house. <laughs> if, it, yeah. if it doesn't literally wash away, your basement's in there. I I showed a house today on Brearley, right, uh-huh. right behind the Breeze Stevens Field, 
and felt that it was my job as a buyer's agent to pull up the this is flood the street, map. These are the streets that flood map. Yeah. All right. What about the highest in the country? Southwest Mount Horeb, yeah. nine thousand one Early Autumn Road, five thousand seven hundred and seventy square feet on seventeen acres. Built in 2003. It was beautiful. It's literally From 10 the, times more square footage than the other house that we yeah, just talked about. It's 10 about. times. Let's see. And then, uh, so we talked about the, the, the wealth ratio of bedrooms to bathrooms. Yep. So we've got five baths and five bedrooms. Five so certainly five, some, yeah. some, some wealth there. So from the outside and the front... It looked very classic, very colonial. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to say plantation because it because I don't know everything feels racist lately. But plant <laughs> it had that kind of a look, like a wraparound very, deck kind well, of thing, wraparound porches yeah. and a circular okay. cobblestone drive. Yep. Okay. But it, but it also was on a hill. So when you go around the back side of it. There was nothing colonial about it because you've got like these three or four stories of glass and windows, mm-hmm. and it it lacked it lacked the character that it felt from the front. But then going inside as well kind of was a bit of a downer. Lots of dark colored wallpaper, mm. rich dark tones and patterns and blues and burgundies, and I'm like, ah. I feel like you're in a, a, a haunted house or something. I, I would have know. rather it had been all gray. Like we have that one, like <laughs> just another gray house. We've seen people like like totally neutralize things. <laughs> right. This house needed to be neutralized, <laughs> and and maybe it would have sold for well more than 1.5 had it been, but. All right. Those are the lows and the highs. It's funny you mentioned language like that. I think sometimes a lot of our language is based in racist terms and, you know, other things. And I think that's one of the topics that we'll maybe touch on later today yeah, when we get our I'll... in-studio guest. This is Pamela Andro. She's a planner with Dane County, a past client of yours. Yeah, not too distant past, like last month. One of the <laughs> reasons that people have difficulty deciding to sell is because they are not confident they can buy Mm-hmm. You know, inventory yeah. is very tight. So that is something that someone who really needs to or really wants to move or downsize has to worry about. Oh, it's super easy to sell a house right now. All right. Not going to be super easy on the buy side. So we'll have our talk with Pam. But uh, but first, let's get the top of the hour tip, followed by a quick update on the house that Rhonda bought. Hi, this is Liz Lauer, founder of the Lauer Realty Group. I take pride in having highly educated realtors who are passionate about their clients' pursuits. That passion translates into buying the right home, condo, or investment property, or when selling those same properties for clients, creating a highly stylized marketing plan that yields the best results. The core of the success comes from continually educating ourselves, our clients, and staying focused on key topics and strategies that will help us advocate for them like no other firm. Real Estate in the 608 is a window into our world that gives our listener market updates, current lending trends, home maintenance tips, remodeling help, and so much more. When you need our services, give us a call. Till then, sit back and enjoy and learn. In with today's top of the hour tip is Lindsay Cooper. But for today's top of the hour tip, to the Batcave. Actually, Ben, let's go to the attic. Hey, this is Lindsay Cooper with the Lauer Realty Group. When your home inspector heads into the attic, many agents will stress the importance of looking for vermiculite. This material, which was used as insulation, can contain asbestos. Asbestos can cause cancer and is a major health hazard. What other health hazards can you find in your attic? Poop. That's right. That's pretty batshit crazy. When there is enough, removal may be warranted and it can get expensive. Bat poop is very toxic. So just like vermiculite, it needs to be removed. 
which means vacuumed out with all of the contaminated insulation. Then you also have to disinfect your attic and re-insulate it. For either issue, you're looking at several thousand dollars. I've encountered vermiculite before, and I've encountered bats, but never uh, what I believe they start when they start throwing around the word colony is when you have to worry about that. Is that did did someone use the word colony in your situation, someone, Lindsay? Yeah, we definitely had a pretty mighty colony in an attic recently. Make sure your inspector gets up in there and does their work. Lots of federal rules as to when they can be evicted as well. That's right, because we have to protect our bat population. So you want to make sure you're working with a good group that knows what they're doing when it comes to taking care of the bats, but also your attic. Thank you very much, Lucy. You don't think about that one all the time. Not, not every day, that's for sure. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. Have a great day. You too, Ben. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Find us online at inthe608.com. My name is Adam Elliott. Ben Anton is right across the table from me, and we're about to talk about the house that Rhonda bought, Ben. The house that Rhonda bought is moving along. First, it was the house that she bought. Then it was the house she was going to tear down. Then it was the house she was going to sell. Now we're tearing it down again. We're building a, a far downsized two-bedroom home mm-hmm. versus the three-bedroom, two-bath, two-story home mm-hmm. and finding that the final investment there would allow for a rental situation with a decent return on those on those cash dollars invested. Recently, we have both approved the drawings. So Rhonda has gone through and made some tweaks to a, to a final drawing. Um, we've decided to um, be be smart or a little proactive mm-hmm. in the way we are we are building the basement, not only in its height, but also in that we are having an egress window and things right. yep. placed there for future expansion. So mm-hmm. it will not have a third bedroom in the basement, nor a second bath uh, and rec room at the time it is built, nor the time that it is rented. But that will be an easy opportunity someday if we choose to sell or upgrade. Mm-hmm. This house we're talking about actually is not too far from the lowest value property we we're just talking about adjacent to the Starkweather Creek area. If you build a basement in that type of neighborhood, do you need to worry about water these days? Like if you're building new, it seems like you're going to build something that's pretty secure. Uh, the, one of the things we talked about in reviewing the plans was the the placement of the sump crock. This is better than a sump alligator? A crock like a big tub. <laughs> gotcha. Like yeah. a bucket. I know. The hole in the ground where the sump The hole goes, in right? the ground. Yeah. The old house wouldn't <laughs> even have had one. Right. Yeah. This will have a drain tile circumnavigating both the exterior as well as the interior of mm. the foundation wall. It drains into the sump crock and then can be pumped outside. Um, one of the other things that we're developing right now is the topography and the... Um, the drainage plan. Right. So we had talked about moving the sump crock to better be a, to better accommodate the site because we don't want to dump the water at the front of the house if we if we feel like it would run to the so yeah moving the crock or getting the discharge closer to the rear so that we know where that water's going. I remember when um, we looked at this property, it was kind of concave, like yeah. the house sat at the bottom of the. There's groove, going to have right? to be some infill made there. Yeah. Well, that is the latest update on the house that Rhonda bought. Let's uh, bring in our guest. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. It's time to bring in our in-studio guest, Pamela Andros, who's a seller, a buyer of recent as well, also a Dane County regional planner. Hello, Pam. 
Hello, Ben. Thank is, you so much for joining us, Pam. Is that your official title? I think I got it from and LinkedIn. Andy. It's senior planner, yes. Oh, senior oh, planner. We're going to make a note. Senior. <laughs> we, know, we know that she's a senior planner, but do we know if she's fun? Well, we've got to ask her a question, I think. We ask a few questions. We play a quiz game, a Madison History and Environs trivia game, the way it used to be. There used to be. There used to be. There used to be. There used to be nothing but smiling faces far as the eye could see. Car in every driveway. Swinging every tree People can't stop talking about the way things used to be This is going to take you back. I told you I, I was confident that you'd do 66% well. Okay. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is the hard one. I hope so. This may be the hard one. You'll do great. On October 31st, 1992, the Wisconsin Badgers faced the University of Illinois at Camp Randall Stadium. Who won that game? Illinois. What? Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Okay. So, so are you like a sports fanatic or can you just like call things from memory, Pam? Uh, Somewhere in the middle. (laughs) And I can also guess. But I do believe I recall that because, well, don't tell, but I'm from Illinois. Uh, She had attended the Mm. University of Illinois. Okay. And that football game would have been in the first semester of her graduate studies here at the University of Wisconsin. So that would have been that would have been her first her first game at did you go to the game or did you just see it on TV? I did not go to the game. And I had to lay it low because I learned moving here that people aren't super excited about people from Illinois. Well, Come on. We don't, you didn't need to tell didn't need to tell me you're from there, just that you went to school there. There you go. So I, oh, I likely knew that you it. you would have been rooting for for the the, the what are the the Illini? The fight in Illini. The fight in Illini. The score was 12, 12 to thirteen. Or bet well, it was thirteen to twelve Exciting. since you're the winning team. Um, True. The uh, the Badgers the Badgers ended that season five and six. Five and six, so which is interesting because it was the very next year when I when I showed up and was in the band I in ninety three. Nineteen ninety three, ranked twenty. I showed up the next year when they were ten one and one. That was a wow. Rose Bowl year, wasn't it? Yeah, it went to the yeah. Rose Bowl. So like they went from can't beat Illinois. <laughs> It, All right, it must so have been the Ben Anton band effect, I think. <laughs> it was. So, so there you go. Now, because you got that one, Pam, you are you are well nice. positioned yeah. for a three three correct answers. Formerly located at twenty five twenty six Monroe Street, the Monroe Street Art Center was housed in a building that's origin story included Rennebaum's Pharmacy. What real estate firm is planning both to locate there for a West Side office? As well as has, has commissioned a mural that just recently gained city approvals for the eastern facade of that building. I'm going to guess that it's Liz Lauer Real Estate. We prefer Real to call it the Lauer, the Lauer Realty Group. I like how well done. I like how you worked a commercial into the question there. <laughs> so, for those of you, for those of you who didn't know. Lauer Realty Group is going to have a West Side office. Oh, that's and great! And it will, and it will be great uh, location. It will be a great location, and it's going to have a beautiful mural um, that that I understand is going. to... I don't remember the name of the muralist. One of it's it's a it's a collaboration, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's the the mat, the mattress guy, the guy who graffitis on the mattresses. Oh, I've seen okay. a couple of those the around tri- town. Triangulador. Yeah. 
Is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The Triangulador? Triangulador. Oh, that's super cool. He's like the Banksy of Madison. It's, it's like, yeah, like legit, <laughs> legit cool graffiti people. They lean west. We've got some people that lean west. I'm east and west again. Yeah, you're you're back and forth. And then here, here's another one. I'm confident that you will get the you'll. But get she's the already two for three. She hit she's the two 60, for three. She hit the sixty six. This is it now. Yeah. So yeah, best known for his public sculptures scattered throughout the Shank Atwood Starkweather Yahara neighborhood. Name the outsider artist whose concrete statues sit at places like Jackson Street Plaza and Hippo Park. That would be Sid Boyum. Oh, wow. Well done. See, well Pam, done. Three for three. Uh, That's are, a rarity whoa. in real estate in the 608. <laughs> Pam I, has her, I, I has her toes. Her, her toes dipped in a lot of different pools. Oh. And Pam was on the, were you, was it, you were simply called the Friends of Sid Boyum? Yes. That's the name of the organization. We're still active and can still come check it out. Check out our website. I don't know if it was Pam's first introduction to the Lower Realty Group, but uh, several years ago, Liz was charged with selling uh, Sid Boyum's historical home on Wabisa Street. Okay. And uh, he was an artist, and the house had fallen into disrepair, and it was still full of his belongings and the artwork in the yard, and a nonprofit stepped in before the home could be sold at a tax lien foreclosure. Uh, and yep. delayed the decision of the city to uh, to sell it. They were able to recapture a lot of the artwork and then sell it on the open market to a uh, a young couple that now resides there. Hmm. That's a, that's a great story. And they story. did an amazing job restoring it, including some of the the art that was inside of the every inch of that house, inside and out, was had art. Literally, um, and it was yeah. it was a house. Literally. I I tried to buy it. Oh. That's like that's oddly satisfying because when you think of an artist's house, I expect like it to be wall to wall, everything <laughs> created, and then and then there is the one that is. And it wasn't yeah. it wasn't just that the that the the walls were covered in art, but in many cases the walls themselves had oh had were, were the art like frescoes. They just painted stuff under the walls, or there um, was certainly some, but but you know, built things on the walls. Oh, the man, he was prolific. It was. Carousel horses, plywood, foam molding, taxidermy, uh, all sorts of things. Oh, my gosh. This should be like a tour of Madden. Well, we should be able to tour these things. There he, was a tour. Oh, there was a tour. That there was a pop-up museum, um, <laughs> also in October, and it was amazingly well attended, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I believe the word that I'm, I, I'm sorry, looking for when someone is a contemporary. Mm-hmm. Does that mean like that they hung out? Or does that just mean they were like uh, in the it, same school? It, it could mean you're of modern times or like somebody like, is a are contemporary. Are you like the same generation? A, a peer. All right. Well, anyway, yeah. he he was a contemporary. He hung out with the the, the, the house on the rock guy. It was that yeah. It was that kind of obscene wow. and crazy. And Dr. Evermore. And oh. yes, <laughs> Dr. Evermore. The so three those, of them knew each other. They were like. Pals. Oh, that's like the Trinity of Art for Madison right there. Like <laughs> putting, <laughs> putting down some schlitz. Yeah. Right. 
All right. Well, we have found out that you are fun, Pam, and we are pleased to have you. And th- and we thank you for all the work that you've done um, for our for our for our town and our county, for our whole county, mm-hmm. more specifically. You. You're very welcome. Um, but but as like far more tangibly, the the work that you did with Sid Boyum's house, because that because the way that that was handled in some ways ties in a little bit to to what we're doing today. I'm talking a little bit about city planning and. And we want to do kind of a primer, get a get a, a, a basic understanding of some planning vocabulary, so that we okay. are prepared. We are better prepared for our time in September with Dr. Paige Glotzer, the author of a piece on redlining that was featured in some of our Madison media earlier this summer. We are also going to talk about your uh, recent real estate uh, experience, in that you had to both sell a house and buy a house, which you think would be easy, but it's not. No, no, no. Well, and there's that whole pesky pandemic. <laughs> right. <laughs> Still and what, going on. When we first met and we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about about what we might think about how to best market the home and what work would need to be done to, to get the best price there. Uh, but we also talked about the kind of house that you anticipated buying. And, uh, and we, we ended up on Grandma House, I think was a good summary. Yes, I would totally agree with that. In fact, before I found my Grandma House, I express frustration all i want is a grandma house (laughs) and then that's what i got how often do you hear that one ben how i just want the grandma's house i just well it's i don't want all these cutified houses i just want the grandma house describe to me what you mean by a grandma house like what's in your what's what do you envision when you say that i envision well i was envisioning the 50s just because that's how i grew up i don't want one that's already been either updated poorly 20 years ago Mm -hmm. or completely redone and having what I call sort of just surface stuff where you might say lipstick or, or I saw Mm -hmm. one that was, was marketed as cute as a button. And no, I I don't want that. (laughs) I'm going to put that in. I want to do that myself. I just want a, a house that the family grew up in for decades. They took care of their home and then I came and buy it. So, so it's something in the middle there. But um, part of that is is the people that stick around and they do for many years, which says a lot about the neighborhood as well. So, yeah. So there you go. Does that? Does no. It, yeah. Do you get my drift? I think yeah. that makes sense. Like grandma is kind of like built in, like it's been there for a while, <laughs> and that's like in an established neighborhood as well too. And we'll talk. Yeah. We'll talk about Pamela's search for the grandma house uh, right after we come back after the market update. We'll find out what's going on in local real estate uh, with trends and guidance for both buyers and sellers. Boy, I wanna keep you. Hi, this is Liz Lauer, founder of the Lauer Realty Group. I take pride in having highly educated realtors who are passionate about their clients' pursuits. That passion translates into buying the right home, condo, or investment property, or when selling those same properties for clients, creating a highly stylized marketing plan that yields the best results. The core of the success comes from continually educating ourselves, our clients, and staying focused on key topics and strategies that will help us advocate for them like no other firm. Real Estate in the 608 is a window into our world that gives our listener market updates, current lending trends, home maintenance tips, remodeling help, and so much more. When you need our services, give us a call. Till then, sit back and enjoy and learn. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. In with us today is broker associate at the Lauer Realty Group, Alejandra Torres. Alejandra, what's going on out there? 
Well, hi, Ben. Hola, amigos. We just had our first taste of fall these last couple of days as the temperatures dropped to 60s. It was quite nice. As we head into August, a time when usually Madison's rental stock market begins all their new lease terms, we're generally through the heat of our main real estate summer as well. As the late July listings are often met with fewer buyers, many buyers that are active right now are just beginning their searches and aren't quite ready to pull the trigger. So this slight relaxation in demand means it could be time for buyers that were slightly less prepared to shine now to win. Lower down payment buyers, buyers with like home sale contingencies or low down payment options, um, buyers with FHA or veteran loans start to have an opportunity to shine in, in this market. So while it's still a seller's market, the cooler air combined with so many buyers settling back into their rentals for another year means opportunity for some people to get into a beautiful new home. Well, that's fantastic. And a great, I, I my, uh, myself uh, was working with some VA buyers, veterans administration loan buyers, unsuccessful until we felt just that slight depression in demand, still a sellish market, but just enough of a relaxation for us to get to the top of the pile. That's great, Ben. I'm happy for your buyers. And I, and am, for all of our- and I am happy for you. And I appreciate you and thank you for joining us. My pleasure. And for all of mi gente, todos los latinos, acuérdense que Lower Realty se habla español. Adios, amigos. Thank you, Ben. Adios, Alejandra. <laughs> Adios. Sometimes I'm sure of, sometimes my head's not right. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. His name is Ben Anton. My name is Adam Elliott, your hosts for today. Our in-studio guest, well, on the phone guest is Pamela Andros. She is a Dane County Senior Regional Planner. Um, she's also just <laughs> gone through the process of buying and selling her home during, what do we call it, the pretty pandemic? Pesky. The pesky, the pesky pandemic. pandemic. <laughs> Thank you very much. You were mentioning that you were you had a grandma house. Searching uh, for the grandma Searching house. for the grandma house. There's a lot of value to be found in a grandma house. Often they are very well maintained and all of the things that need frequent maintenance have often been remedied. Like nobody wants grandma up on the ladder. Well, a lot of times gutter guard. Do you? Did your house have gutter guard, Pam? <laughs> I don't remember. But It did, but it was growing some trees. <laughs> it was there. <laughs> so there's very little exterior painting, painting or maintenance required. She wasn't so concerned about appearances as she was about function. Those quality (laughs) finishes from its original build are still there and still working. Everything is serviceable and no money has been wasted on on surface features. Really things? It's one or two things that come to mind when you think of like, nope, I don't need that. Kitchen cabinets is probably an easy one because it is hard it is difficult to afford cabinets as good as the ones that are there already. Uh-huh. Okay. Because they're usually like solid built if they're... Yeah, they're built in yeah. place. They're, they're, they're oak. A lot of times even mahogany trim and woodwork in some of these old places when mahogany wasn't as sexy as it sounds now. Mm-hmm. Thanks to... Uh, what's his name with the... Anchorman. Yeah. Anchorman. Yes. Smelling... <laughs> My study smelling of rich mahogany. (laughs) (laughs) Was there like a feature inside of a house that you looked at, uh, Pam, that was that is that's that's a defining thing that I'm looking for? Well, I don't know if it's a defining thing, but it's kind of just a sweet, sweet little item is the laundry chute. The laundry chute. You look in the bathroom and you see the little door. Uh, (laughs) But I would say just, yeah, I think what was described there, just the overall, this was maintained. 
this was loved. Um, and it's got those essential things and, and it's got some of those nice touches like the laundry chute or the eight track player, um, mounted <laughs> under the cabinet. Yeah. What can I say? It's sort of just kind of strikes you. Um, and the lack of things like, like features you can buy at Home Depot that stick on the wall to look like stone or, you know, oh, those sure. sorts of things. So one of the challenges is that the, the house that Pam was looking for is the same house that, that I am, or some, that, uh, that I'm helping first-time buyers look for. So we've got, we've got mm-hmm. Pam who, who is looking for a, a simpler with, with boys having moved off to college. And and a West Side home, a little you know, the, a big grand four four bedroom home on the West Side, no longer a necessity. The downsizing buyer is often trying to buy the same house as the first time buyer. Wow. And a neighborhood like East Moreland, yeah. you've got those, you've got both of those groups going after the same modest ranches. Um, and now Pam's, you 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 seem fit. You didn't seem like the accessibility of a single level home. Would uh, would be important quite yet, but that's another aspect that these downsized buyers mm-hmm. are maybe looking to get rid of the steps, maybe looking for that single story living or you know bedroom and main bath all on the same floor. Um, that was appealing too, yes, definitely. Yeah, because that and that's what that's what allowed Grandma to live in that nice neighborhood for mm-hmm. as long as she could and to remain part of the community. I mean, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of things we're talking about here that, that, that overlap, like the universal design, allowing someone mm-hmm. to live in the neighborhood longer to, to, for a, a different voice, whether that's a person of color or of a different generation, being able to stay in the same community for longer. And I mean, there's just a lot of magical things that happen mm-hmm. when we can build a house that's decent enough for someone to live in a long time. And I think what you're saying is competition is high for those types of places. Right. And there's very... And, so, but there's two very different buyers. The first time buyer today, you can still buy a house with three and a half percent down. But if that's you, you don't want to be competing against the tech company buyer, someone who's got this really nice tech job and is and is making a really decent salary, but they want to stay in town. They're not going. They're not going to buy more than they need. They're going to they're going to buy a nice little house in Eastmoreland. Um, and then you've got someone like Pam who's just who's just sold or is in the process of selling her Westside home, but might come to that same transaction with a very significant down payment. Or mm-hmm. even as we'll talk about, one of the ways to be competitive in that situation is to position yourself as if you have the cash. And that's not necessarily if you have it, but to position yourself as if you have it is just as important to understand that process. What does that mean, though? Does that mean like, yeah, I got well, a lot of cash, but I don't really have a lot of cash? <laughs> well, that's, well okay. that sounds like lying one to of, me. Almost. No, no, no. no. <laughs> one, of the, one of the first things that, that Pam and I talked about was, are you far enough? along in your career mm-hmm. and has your income inc- increased enough since you bought your fur house that you could simply afford to buy a second? That's that's the first question. Because oh, then sure. you could, you don't want to make your purchase contingent on your ability to sell your first. Because mm-hmm. as confident as we are that that first house is going to sell quickly and it's going to go through and 30 to 45 days later, you're going to have that money in your pocket. If you're competing against another offer, they're going to take the sure thing. Right. Yeah. They're going to take the offer that is not contingent There's on sale. More risk on the... And some people can, some people can't. But even that doesn't put you in the perfect situation to really seem competitive. Because that just gets you to a level playing field with the younger buyer who's going to get a traditional mortgage. Mm-hmm. We're not contingent anymore, but we're even with that younger buyer. So okay. how do we beat them is the next question. <laughs> 
even if you can't afford to buy two houses outright, home, there may be enough equity in your home to allow you to buy the next home, the next one, yeah. appearing as if you have cash. And that's what I've done. And that was something that Pat, you had talked about the lender with as a home equity line of credit, but we didn't establish that till later. But talk talk about what was involved in in your talks with the credit union and and what and what establishing that line of credit would have looked like. It was basically applying for a home equity line of credit like you would to do a lot of other things with your home. And because of my sales of three homes at this point in the city of Madison, I did have enough where I could say I could buy this house, putting all the equity in what I had, plus some savings, plus some more savings, and so on and so forth, to put all that money together to say, yeah, I can I can buy this this house with and positioning myself to buy it with cash. Mm-hmm. But by lining up the equity in her existing home, along with leveraging her, you know, not money that she needed to use, but she could if she had to, that way we didn't need to write contingent on that first sale. So I think I'm hearing if you have the means, pulling out that home equity line of credit puts you in a better position when you're ready to sell your current to move into a new one. Because right. it looks like you have the cash ready to go. I was going to say what I did with the credit union was go ahead and start that application and get the whole thing rolling, but not quite press the go button until I really needed it, which I didn't end up needing it. But that's how I had it set up to, to roll, just FYI. Hmm, interesting. Right. And now I, I've used the line of credit in almost every purchase that I've made and because I'm every time I'm buying a house with some kind of need – I'm fixing it up. I'm re- I'm removing that need, and I'm making the property worth more. And then after I've got it to just about up and running, I refi or I get an appraisal, a new appraisal at a much higher value, and then I establish a new line of credit. And often by then I've paid off the last house. You know, I've paid off that line of. That credit. was my next question. Aren't right. you floating in like interest charges and such? Not, Not for the really. most part, because yeah. it, I've only ever done it one at a time. And I use the equity from the previous house to fix up the new one while I'm also paying it down. It's just kind of a slush fund for me, or that's that's what it's been like. When you need to buy a house that has needs, or you want to appear as if you're able to pay cash that's not contingent on a sale. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. My name is Adam Elliott. Ben Anton is right across the table from me. Our in-studio, on-the-phone guest is Pamela Andros, uh, Dane County Senior Regional Planner. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit, too. We're right now talking about the selling and then the eventual buying process of what you just went through, Pam. Let's talk. Let's mention, because you went through this, Adam. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you... Um, had some equity in your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were going to use that to buy your next house. Yes. But there was both the idea that that we couldn't we didn't see anything right away or we weren't feeling like we were going to find it. Yep. So for a little context, my first home that I bought, lived in it for almost 10-ish years or so, uh, paid down the loan, built up some equity, made some improvements and such. 
at that time, that's when I called Ben. Hey, Ben, help me out. Give him a new place. We looked around, wasn't seeing the thing that we want, uh, but the sale was happening. The sale was, we had a buyer and it was time just to commit on that because we were going to, you know, make, get the money back that we wanted to. What year was that again? About 2013-ish. Okay. Yeah. I had the house since about 2003-ish then. And did we, and, and back in that day, I just, I, I was only able to find you one buyer. We found whose, them. His name was Adam too. <laughs> we found. I, I recall we found that buyer quickly, mm-hmm. but we didn't find ten of them. There was not a high demand. I think we had a good showing, and I think we didn't have to keep it on the market for very long. It was like I remember we showed it on a Friday, and by the weekend we had somebody who was on the line. And in 2013, that was that was a job well done. Not not to pat myself on the back, but mm-hmm. that was a different time. That was recession pricing. We got but we got a decent price for it. Mm-hmm. And and that getting that price meant it was worth it to you uh to to step out for a minute mm-hmm. um and try to buy in the off season. Mm-hmm. Plus I had a neighbor who liked to his hot tub in the backyard too much. And I was like, you know what? It really is time to get out of this neighborhood. <laughs> you, well, you had, you had a really big yard there, didn't you? It was a very nice yard, yeah. For being in the um, Lake Edge neighborhood, it was, it was a beautiful house. I loved it. It had one bathroom. It was two beds, one bath, and then we finished an upstairs space. Put a lot of love into that house and redid the kitchen and was ready to move on to the next size. Um, in your situation, not only did 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 it just seem to make sense to to rent to like take a step back. I mean, that's literally a step mm-hmm. back, right? Um, so that so that the leap forward could be greater. But that allowed us to buy the foreclosure, mm-hmm. right? Which is which are fewer and further between. I don't see them anymore. Do they even exist? They, they're, they're, they're like out unicorns there. now. But uh, but in, in your day, there were more of them. But it, it also allowed you to to make a much bigger leap. There's no way. So that was my process, but that's not how that's not your path here, Pam. You were able to sell and buy relatively at the same time. But I do have to say in between, I was actively looking for apartments. <laughs> I mean, I was applying for apartments, but and I'm not joking because it, it you know, I was willing to take it there. It might have needed to happen because uh, I could have made an offer on the grandma's house and and not been successful. And then I had to move on it's you know a, it's so a I was tough ready game to do that. but options are great to have and having that worst case scenario option of renting was necessary because right because it allowed us to move forward comfortably and without too much pressure and to not overpay and in fact when we sat down to to write our offer for pause i we you know we'd seen houses in the neighborhood go for significantly more and and i i don't know I, I had a feeling like at that moment, like that I saved Pam a few thousand dollars because I said, I think this is the number. And it was lower than the one that she was It was thinking. a good number. And, yeah. we, and we got it. And that was the win. That's awesome. And, and planners always have more than one plan. That's part of your job. <laughs> and you accept it because you don't want to be freaking out. And I think beyond the number that Ben suggested was me freaking out too much in the end, even though I shouldn't be freaking out, you know, and just stay calm, which is part of what he's very good at, is remaining chill. And I thought all this stuff through, and I made peace with, you know, it'll be kind of fun to rent an apartment. It's been a long time, you know, but who will take my crew of motley dogs? You know, that that was (laughs) concerning. 
You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. My name's Adam Elliott. He's Ben Anton. Our in-studio guest is Pam Andros, uh, Dane County uh, Senior Regional Planner. Just talked about you going through the process of selling your place, buying the new place. Um, I think, you know, sounds like Ben made that process a little easier for you. But we also want to talk about what you do for a living, Pam, uh, a planner. What, do, what does a planner do? Planners do many, many things. That's the thing. Uh, there's those that are more what people think of, where you're physically looking at the landscape and you're you're planning ahead for population and you're laying out streets and you're thinking about infrastructure, you know, water, streets, all these good things, amenities, library, schools, and, and you know, laying that out there. Um, but planners are involved in, in a lot of different things. Uh, some specialize in housing, housing policy. Uh, environmental policy at Dane County. I, uh, we have a bit of a focus on agricultural preservation, which isn't an easy thing to accomplish in a county that is growing the way that Dane County is and the amount of, of pressure on, on just, you know, turning it into a suburb, into a subdivision rather than continuing as agriculture. Uh, and some planners just do data mining. Some planners specialize in in mapping, so there's there's a tremendous amount of things. Uh, I hope that's not a, a disappointing answer. No, but, that makes um, sense. But it's just the truth. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so like, and you say you specialized outside of the city in particular, and is that where yeah. a lot of the growth is happening that we're seeing? Well, at this point, I, the greatest growth is happening in the communities out that are outside of the city. The city of Fog Prairie right now is just gangbusters. It's usually Flint Prairie, um, City of Verona, mm-hmm. and uh, but at the same time, compared to when I started my job, when there was more of a appeal, still some more appeal of the new edge development, and there's always that appeal. Um, so you saw more growth at that time, mm-hmm. um, and since I started, that that's done what we like to see, which is redevelopment of within the city. So not just because that improves the quality of life in the city and the revenue coming into the city, but also when development is directed inward, then we're not using the edge. We're not using uh, ag land. We're not using green space because that development is happening in a more advanced fashion mm-hmm. in our city villages. So good planning does all those things that you were just mentioning. Right. And, you know, planners have been talking about this good stuff for many years, but that doesn't mean that's what the market was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, financing uh, people's tastes, what what was made, well, I argue, what was made available at that time. Um, and now a lot of people want just the opposite, although it's changing back a little bit. But, um, you know, people like those people who work for Epic, for instance, uh, they don't want to live in Verona where Epic is located because what are they going to do in Verona, right? No offense, Verona, but that's what they're thinking. So instead they take a bus into, the, you know, they take the bus into Madison where they bought that starter home that they're fixing up and they're enjoying the neighborhood and the bike paths and the restaurants and all of the music scene and things that they want. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, and, and so that drives a little bit different market. So now the job is sort of being done for us. Uh, however, also part of what planners do is we want to think about the good for all the people in the community, not just talking about development in a purely economic sense. We're, we're thinking of cities of 
places where people live and raise their kids and and hopefully have a, a good experience and feel safe and healthy and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't necessarily describe bad planning um, only as like building a green space is building ag lands that you're talking about. Like, you know, there's the, it flows, it ebbs and flows is I think is what you're saying with like what people it desire. Does. Yes. What people desire is one thing that does ebb and flow, but then there's a lot of, well, you know, there aren't people really who necessarily have a choice uh, of saying, oh, do I like that? I like that. Or this lifestyle. Uh, so that's also something that everyone centers need to think about as well. So there's sort of the market and then there's sort of what's going on economically and in our culture and, and so on and so forth. One of the one of the purposes, or one of my hopes for our time today, is to kind of give a primer to uh, to our listeners, as well as a, a reintroduction or a reminder to uh, to me and our Adam and I about uh, some of the basics of of planning, so that when we meet uh, with uh, Dr. Paige Glotzer from the UW next episode, we have a little bit of a, a we're leaning into some of these topics already. Um, we'd had Dan McAuliffe, City of Madison planner, on. Um, last season, talking about gentrification, and one of the one of the uh, concepts behind that that that's been interesting to me, and and that I agree with, or I think is is appropriate, or is the requirement for disinvestment to proceed uh, in air, or that that the disinvestment would uh, increase the chances of of gentrification happening. In your studies, either at the at, at, as an as an Illini or uh, at the mm-hmm. UW, was was disinvestment a requirement as it was in the definition of gentrification in his white paper? I, I think that was the terms he uses. I mean, obviously, I, I would say that is the case, but making it sound like disinvestment is a requirement, almost like you want to encourage it, yeah. maybe sounds a little. Uh, but yeah, generally, the properties um, what what is no longer invested in is what sits there and is ripe for redevelopment. One of the questions I ask myself, though, and maybe this is my not truly understanding what urban renewal is, but in the same way that disinvestment can lead to private sector or market-driven gentrification, when I was thinking about urban renewal, I was thinking of government projects like like the green bush, which I know is not right. like an example of like how to do it, but mm-hmm. is urban renewal, can that be confused with like a government sponsored gentrification? Urban renewal is, was a government program. Gentrification, I'd say is something that happens more naturally. It evolves. I think Dan even used the word organically or, but whereas urban renewal was, here's this policy, poverty is out there. We want to improve the, the lives of people that live in these these places that have been, there has been disincentive, I mean, disinvestment, and it truly is a bad situation. And the intent was good. The intent was, this is blighted, this is terrible, um, we're going to tear it down. We have, we're going to put new buildings in, we're going to, with, with, you know, an idea in mind, so architecture comes in here too, of the vision of how a building should be to help bring people out of poverty and live in much better conditions. Uh, what goes wrong, of course, is the unintended consequences or perhaps how these 
these ideas get manipulated along the way. For instance, where are they located? Neighborhood, are you possibly disconnecting from the other side of the neighborhood and things Mm -hmm. of this nature? What couldn't happen, so take Greenbush, for instance. Maybe Greenbush would have been like, well, let's discard Ray Peterson because that's about an individual, not not a neighborhood. But um, that would be a place that would likely be right for gentrification and, you know, single-family homes updated and the value coming naturally in the future. Uh, but that program, its intent, its original intent back in the 50s and 60s was to address poverty um, in, in cities, and generally larger cities. But they're, they're similar but different. I'd imagine in our talking with uh, Dr. Glosser, we'll be, we'll be looking at unintended consequences of, of redlining. Because just looking at it, it wasn't straight up racist. It was, it was about the money and about the safety of an investment, about the, the economic risk of owning a property in a particular area. And yeah, but there was, there was language about whether the color of your skin in this as well. So I'd, I'd say it was racist. I mean, it certainly was. It was districting up areas. It was like, you know, block one, block two, block three. I'm going to draw a red circle around here. Here's the bad zone. And like, it's about who yeah, can get. In the bad zone. Yeah, who can get access to that? And bad zone is not a great way to describe it either. Sorry. Well, but, but like, it's, but yeah. but at that point, the risky not zone. Far from the actual definition, actually. Again, this was a government program. There was a federal government agency. I believe it was the Homeowners Loan Corporation. So this goes back to the 30s. And they created these these maps everywhere. They they were assigning perceived financial risk, just like you said, financial risk associated with different neighborhoods, determined by local real estate interests. And then they color coded these so the best were green, still desirable is blue, yellow is declining, and red is for quote hazardous. Mm, yeah. So that included condition of the housing stock. Access to amenities, you know, um, parks, schools, so on and so forth. Proximity to pollution. So in case, you know, another thing to think about um, that is inequitable is is pollution. The economic class and the ethnic and racial makeup of the residents. So, mm-hmm. yes, it, it was in there. Again, this was a public program now, and, and this, this federal agency actually originated loans for a brief period. They stopped doing that just five years later, but the private industry basically continued using that method that, that they set up. Mm-hmm. And no, so there's your, yeah, I think it was, thank you for that. but that's so correct. And I, I guess maybe what I was thinking or that, that I didn't see it was, uh, I mean, that's, yes, it's racist to today's view, but at the time, yeah, even then, at the time, well, but judgment based on race, judgment based on race, judgment based on economic factors that mm-hmm. coincided with race and at the time was not seen as I don't like well not seen because it was all white people who were writing it and they didn't care about the other <laughs> the different people they they cared about what they thought about and they didn't have to think about racism because of white supremacy and like it's not something that they had to think about at the time they were just doing you know what would benefit or what would seem to benefit them well, and they're 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 doing analysis, I'm sure, based on uh, you know, right. I, I would hope, you know, and let that's where I say, you know, policies are driven. You do some analysis. Well, where 
you know, somebody crunched the numbers. Um, yeah, and you're absolutely correct about who those people were. And it was thinking like many of things in the United States, which is about, you know, how does it make money or not? Um, and that's the lens we kind of, you know, it's the capitalist society. That's the lens through which we look um, yeah. kind of naturally. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. One of the parallels is we talked about the impact of the F-35. Yep. The Homeowners Loan Association is, for the most part, a past version of uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, mm -hmm. And the a pseudo-government agency that ensures the loans and that has a vested right. financial yeah. interest in understanding what loans are likely to be paid and which loans are likely to uh, to go into default and, and understanding the, the the spectrum there and knowing where they need to draw a line and that's called uh, when something is conventional if you're able to get conventional financing that means that it fits in a your loan fits in a box that it is not too risky for the for this pseudo government agency to ensure, the banks, so the bank can give it, give you that loan, knowing that worst case scenario, this federal agency is going to come in and solve the problem. But that F-35 and, and, and the 65, the super loud area, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac has learned through their data that houses inside that super loud area are more likely to go into default. And as such, in some markets, they do not allow insured loans or conventional financing inside that 65 dbdnl now how does that affect we learned already that this the sound or the noise itself will have a greater effect on people of color than or no than white people all of a sudden we've got an unintended consequence we've got a government program that's limiting access of available and even maybe affordable housing stock to a disproportionate yeah. number of, of people of color. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an example like we worked in radio. Garbage in, garbage out. If you start with something that's rotten from the core or has problems, like you sample data, you know, that you only took from like one population like we took about, and you create rules based on those things, which even if those rules carry over, you know, 50, 60, 100 years later, it's still problematic because it doesn't account for everything, which is, you know, why it's even more important that people like Pam are out there to talk about you know, these issues and we make sure we understand and learn about them as well. Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. For yes. those of you who, who are not in radio, that means you can't you can't edit something better. Like it has to be good to begin right. with. Which I might argue this podcast is evidence of the contrary. <laughs> uh, but okay, so um, so the redlining then creates. So what happens then is a government program that is both perpetuating the redlining and and the decisions that result from it you end up with, with a kind of government-sponsored segregation. Yeah. Hey, Ben, it's Phil with a view from beyond the 608. I looked over at my commodity price screen today and noted that random-length lumber futures were trading at $608 per thousand board feet. Remarkably, that's double where prices sat at the beginning of April. It's all part of a home improvement boom that we've seen unfold in this strangest of summers. Look at certain stocks. 
Scott's Miracle Grow up 50% year to date. Home Depot trading at $270 a share, an all time high, and up 23% year to date. Lowe's up 26%. Americans are spending a lot of time closer to home these days as the pandemic continues to swirl. For people still working and with incomes, I think they're saying, well, as long as we're going to be home, let's make it nicer. I saw a recent survey showing that 6 in 10 Americans said they've embarked on at least one exterior home improvement project this summer. The same survey showed 26% spending money on garden or landscape projects and 11% spending money on deck or patio improvements. You can see it right here in the 608 in Cottage Grove where I live. A walk around the neighborhood reveals at least five or six semi-major patio projects either underway or recently completed. That's certainly helping the construction and home improvement industries and, in part, boosting the price of lumber futures. Here's what I wonder. What's going to happen this winter if we're all still close to home? That's all for now, Ben. This is Phil with a view from Beyond the 608. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. Uh, ben Anton is your host uh, right across the table from me. I'm also your host as well, Adam Elliott. And our in-studio guest is Pamela Andros, who's actually on the phone today, uh, Dane County Senior Regional Planner. Senior. Senior. We made that uh, mistake early on, and she corrected <laughs> us. Uh, she also just went through the process of buying and selling. But right now, we're talking about many terminology pieces connected to planning and what a planner does. You, Pam, brought up a more recent study. Oh, well, I'm just highlighting, I think, what's really brought attention to restrictive covenants. Have you heard of such a thing? I'm sure you have, being in real estate, yes. Well, yeah, well, uh, Lindsay Wood Davis mm-hmm. uh, was a guest of ours in Monona. His property on McKenna included a covenant that you could not, you could not house your hired african-american help or something like that there was like you couldn't good yeah. god that was like in a, a it deal was, yeah, and you, it was there up until up until uh you know the fair housing act 1968 so we're not talking about the far far away time so i suppose i should clarify first i'm just going to mention the the project and it was done by a professor at the university of minnesota and she called it mapping prejudice so there's something that planners love it's maps, and they are a great way to do analysis. But uh, you know, with with the technology we have now, and the computing power, and and the I'm sure the graduate student nearly free labor that she had access to, they researched all these covenants throughout the city and mapped them and compared them to populations as they are now. And it should not be a big surprise that much like the redlining, it pushed, it, it took the landscape and where people were allowed to be on it, specifically where they were allowed to invest in it, and um, sort of concentrate the population and really ultimately put people in a position that some of us could, you know, real estate's not just your home, it's an investment. And wealth was built for some people, and maybe not so much for other people, because these covenants attached to deeds um, did not allow, and they, they they openly said not allowed. You know, Negroes, you cannot sell this parcel to, you know, terminology like Negroes, Chinamen, and other wording. Um, 
And some of those things remain. I mean, they do remain to this day. They're not enforced, but I think people are are pretty surprised. Uh, I knew about it because of, you know, my background, but most people were not aware. Uh, so I would take a look at that. And there's also a PBS did a special, and it's called the, the Jim Crow of the North. But mm-hmm. she did a spatial analysis based on these things and just lay it there. And, and, and you can see... You know, the results, I guess I would say what's important for people to understand is to get understand the notion of the things we talked about earlier in this, that that things are the way they are, not because that's how things go, but somewhat to design as, you know, whether it was intended consequences or unintended consequences, that that um, different people did not have the same opportunities. And, and we can see that. You yeah. can see that at maps and in, in our neighborhoods and, you know, here in Madison and, and, you know, really throughout the country. You make a great point. It wasn't always this way. It was done by design. It was done by people yeah. thinking that, policy. you know, yeah, policy. And just so, just so I'm clear, too, I know Ben's the real estate guy here. The covenant is it sounds like it's a requirement attached to your it's like a, a deed restriction, a restriction, just as in some okay. neighborhoods on the west side or any any new development says any fence shall be less than six feet and it shall right. not be in the front yard. And and you may not park. There shall be no clotheslines. No clotheslines, or you may not park. Boat boats or campers may not park outside in the driveway. Gotcha. Little rules that were intended to to help maintain the value. Mm -hmm. Except people wrote horribly racist things into those things. Well, just like they said, in a time park a boat. In a time when when attitudes were different, that literally meant. The same thing, the protection, they felt they were protecting the value. And in some ways, they, they were. Yeah. The, well, num- I, the numbers told people. I don't know if attitudes right. are different. I think, well, they were, it was, I I think people yeah. did not consider other people, for sure, because there was like, for this reason. I, that. We, we, back now. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel bad for people who started listening when we talked about ice cream. <laughs> Like, I thought this show was about fun shit that happened in the Shank Atwood neighborhood. No. Now they're getting all heavy and depressing. Because it is. It's, 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 it's upsetting well, and it's sad. And it's, it's but like, we're learning about these things. And that's, what, that's the important part here. The more that we know, the more that we can do to change something that's not right. Well, and it's also a perfect time. I mean, look what's going on in our society. I think the, the timing, and look, look who did this research. She's in Minneapolis. And they've been working on this prior to what just happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, many people who learned about this, in fact, Dane County talked about, we don't have the resources, but we could basically do the same project using sort of the same methods and do it right in Dane County. You could go to the Register of Deeds, look up some microfiche and see this very language in many, many places across the city and the county. Uh, and we could do a similar thing. Um but if you mapped income inequality and so forth, if you map that and you map these things, I mean, you're, you're, and you could even ask, you could add mapping the incidents of COVID probably, I would argue, and overlay them all. And it's all kind of showing us the same unfortunate scenario and, and 
what I think is great about this is it's shining a light on these issues. And so I'm trying to create the happy part because we don't want it to be too depressing. I, I think, um, I think in that way, it's a good thing because people aren't real happy about it and, and do want to change it. Absolutely. I mean, that's what it's about. We learn about it and we change it and we make it better. Ideally, yeah. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. My name is Adam Elliott. He is Ben Anton. Our in-studio guest is Pamela Andros, Dane County Senior Regional Planner, as well as a person who just recently sold and bought their home to us very successfully. Uh, thank you to you, Ben. Well, and I, I, I'm not being braggy. I just, I, she, she's fun. You're fun to work with, Pam. I appreciate, I appreciate you. Uh, oh, thank and you. I also appreciate one L Allison who has, who has uh, told me that she appreciates me and it has, ma- it has, it made me feel warm. No. Oh. And now I'm doing it a little bit more for others. Oh, that's so nice. I, and you too. It Adam. is very appreciated. It's like, I appreciate you. Let's go around the table. I appreciate you too. <laughs> maybe yeah. we, maybe we'll ask you one question since, since we're not going to have you plug a book. Or or direct people to I your webs to your yeah. we- do did you write a book? I didn't, but I'm plugging other things like mapping prejudice. The book evicted is great, and the classic a death and life of great American cities. I'm going to put a link to all those three of those things, as well as the so mapping prejudice evicted and the the death and life of American cities, which is about urban renewal by Jane Jacobs, and it's sort of while it was happening and her critique of what it was doing to the what's great about cities, which one could argue is sort of what happens with a lot of things. All right. Well, I like will put I will put a link to all three of those things in our show notes as your as your influence and your opportunity to share uh, some things that that maybe influence you. I enjoyed our time, Pam. Thank you. I enjoyed it too. Yeah, absolutely, Pam. Thank you for your insight. It's been a treat. All right. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. You can find us online at inthe608.com. My name is Adam Elliott. Ben Anton is my cohort right across the table. We've been talking to Pamela Andros, Dane County Senior Regional Planner. She also went through the process of selling and buying her home successfully um, in a relatively quick time, which is impressive. But Ben, what was that? That was that was a great time not only to talk about the all the different variables that come into mm. play in both because what it's, it's it's one thing to sell a house and it's another to buy but it is a completely it's like a third beast to do them in rapid succession of not like equal proportion it's like stacked on top of each yeah, other an, there is like a exponential difficulty <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just buying just selling fine great <laughs> i can do that twice doing it on a timeline but to do it on a timeline to have them line up to take someone's individual financial picture and des- decide the best strategy to appear as the most attractive and capable buyer after also being because you're no stronger than the garbage in garbage out you your deal your selling deal is no better than your buyer and you as the buyer are no better than your selling deal that's right it's um, a tough it's a it's and, it, and a lot of it is drama and a lot of it is is acting and there's a lot of per, my father uh, in in marketing and advertising himself would say perception is reality mm. and you need be perceived as the best option and as our guest Pam said keeping a cool head is necessary in this process she was cool as a cucumber should don't don't let her fool you that she got nervous uh, she she's a smart lady and she um 
I could tell from the beginning that she got it, and we were able to work together really well, and it, it, as, with a good result. Well, I was glad to learn about planning. Like, I mean, obviously, somebody does the work to, like, think about, you know, if we're going to expand the city, who's going to put the roads in? What's it going to look like? Is there going to be a school there? What are you going to put there? I'm like, oh, of course. that's well, There's somebody who does that work ahead of time, and that's Pamela. And so and so many different aspects of plant planning yeah. as well. And, and, and to, she talked a little bit about her work centering outside the city, but that's because once you get a city the size of Madison, they have their own planners. I think uh, Pamela, I think she was well-read and well-studied. Um, she's certainly, what was the term? Restrictive conditions? Restrictive covenants. Covenants on a house. And um, that is like... I believe synonymous are the same, they are the same as deed restrictions, or okay. maybe even deed restriction covenants. It's like it's the same thing. I gotcha. All right. Yeah. And some of them were terribly racist and not good but this was i'm glad because this is something i learned today and, and that's you know kind of the point of this podcast i learned yes. something new so. surrounding ourselves with right. people like pam well what about the newsletter the newsletter the 22nd 22nd read comes out on the 22nd written in easy to digest segments taking no longer than 20 seconds to read somebody signed up for it last month they, they heard me. Hey, they heard right. me talking about it just like this. Word's getting out. Word's getting out. <laughs> and hey, shout out Katie Kane. Katie Kane? Katie Kane a sent, us, sent a listener, sent a, sent a Facebook message, mm -hmm. said, hey, I want to learn a little bit more about property management. Pros, cons. Sounds like we got a future topic on our hands. Sounds like, sounds like maybe something for October if we've got September all lined up. But That's always looking for your suggestions. The newsletter is going to be a little recap of the episode, maybe a few highlights, but also a from the, uh, the from the hip-hop update on the market, as well as uh, some other feel-good uh, and, uh, and often insightful tidbits to tidbits. go along. Yeah, tidbits. Well, thank you to Katie. That is much appreciated. Some uh, thanks again to Pam Andros. Uh, Pam was fantastic. Um, I wish her well. Her and her... Her grouping of dogs in the her, grandma house. Her gaggle of dogs, her gaggle in, of dogs in the grandma house. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad she found space. Um, also, thanks to some of the musicians you've been listening to, all local in the 608 musicians, uh, Renclaw and El Donk. Bob Westfall, Seesaw. The Mad City Jug Band. I was just at uh, Mad City Music Exchange, the record shop, mm -hmm. and I saw Seesaw's stuff on the shelf, and I was like, hey, Ooh. I know them. <laughs> I, reached, I reached out to both. I know um, a rock and roll star. Because we've got, in, on Atwood here, we've got two. We've got Sugar Shack and Mad City Music, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I, I recently bought two copies of the soundtrack to the movie Shaft on vinyl because I, did, I wanted to be <laughs> nice. fair. I was like, if either of you have this, I will buy it. Great and thank you there. to Adam. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. I bet you. I appreciate you too. We'll, we'll, I'd hug, but yeah. six feet, my next friends. Next time. Next time. Maybe not even next time, actually. The, yeah, we'll just, <laughs> we'll just think about it. Yeah, once I get the shot that says we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Real Estate in the 608 is a podcast for homeowners, home buyers, landlords, tenants, people who just want to be better at living in a home. If you can't get enough Real Estate in the 608 between episodes, like us on Facebook at In the 608 or visit inthe608.com for archived episodes and show notes. Remember, until you tell us, we don't know. We appreciate your listening as well as your ratings and reviews at your favorite podcast portal. We also welcome feedback and topic suggestions via emails to ben at benanton.com. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fists curled up 
up in a schoolyard fight I'd be a backup when you're calling my name And come on baby, won't you keep me safer than that high score on that pinball game You're always playing at your favorite arcade Could be taking the A So I'm singing you this waiting song 